Welcome back, everyone, to the Rural Retro Smackdown series. Uh, place where we look back on the weird beginnings of a show we know today is Smackdown, and sometimes, not every, not all the time, but sometimes, events happen, which means we need to get personal. Is this one of those weeks? We'll find out. <laughs> I am, <laughs> I am your usual host, Scott McLeod, joined again by uh, Mr. Samuel Preston. Samuel, thank you for coming back. Thank you for having me back. I was worried you were going to lock me away in a cage and pretend I was never here. And now, because you've allowed me back, you're officially my second favourite Scottishman since Sir Alex Ferguson. So congratulations. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a, not the strangest accolade I've ever had, but I'll, I'll take it. <laughs> Glad to hear. Yeah, I'm, uh, I've been getting some, some notes from Mr Nathan Greenaway over the last week. Uh, almost being prodded saying don't go that long ever again <laughs> <laughs> just imagine that yeah you know other people have lives they like to go out and do things and we're like what, what are you on about people love to hear us talk can you not tell by the fact they've come back again but we'll find out shall we let's see if we can keep to a reasonable amount of time which means shorter than the return of the king <laughs> Yeah, people love to hear about what would happen if Tess won the WAF tape. <laughs> hey, he's got a lot of testicles out there who are huge fans of him, so I'm sure they'd be more than happy to hear us waxing lyrically about what could have been if he just got pushed at the right time. Yeah, well, as usual with these retro reviews, I'll start with uh, what happened on Raw. Uh, I felt a, a moment of vindication on Raw, because a point I brought up a few weeks ago got them brought up here, which made me feel good about myself, and that I talked about this Al Snow controversy with the action figure. The, the action figure came back as a double pack, which featured Al Snow and, and Hardcore Holly. So, like, Hardcore Holly's having his action figures pulled, and he's not the cause of it. He's not done nothing wrong. And Hardcore Holly and Crash took on Al Snow and Mankind on Raw, and Hardcore gave out to Al Snow for this. And it gave me a sense, a sense of vindication. Okay, alcohol is like, you, whatever you do with women in your own time, that's your, that's your business. But don't have it taking my action figures off the shelves when all the hardcore Holly fans want, a, want, their, want their hardcore Holly action figure. Oh, I didn't realise that your podcast was able to go through time. And 21 years ago, the writers would have heard your podcast and gone, damn it. Scott's right. We need to answer Hardcore Holly because everyone cares about Hardcore Holly. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine his l- legion of his army of his um, squadron of. I imagine Crash was really annoyed on his behalf. So <laughs> no wonder they decided to bring it bring it up. But it turns out you obviously can see the future. You know what shit's going to happen before they do. So I'm impressed. I mean, the Rock had the millions and millions. Kane had the thousands of Canaanites, uh, Mankind had the dozens and dozens of, of Mankind fans, and Hardcore Holly has the dozen <laughs> you know, who, were, who were obviously very annoyed about this. And uh, as we said last week, the, the bad luck for Al Snow continued. I mean, partly we're a wee bit, some of us here are kind of happy to see he's had this bad luck 20 years ago, given he's in our Hall of Fame. Uh, he lifted up Crash Holly for the snowplow. Argoly hit with a drop kick behind the ref's back because Mankind made the mistake of accidentally distracting the ref. And uh, so Crash falls onto Snow and the Hollies pick up the win. So the bad times for for, her, for Al Snow continue. 
but the big story from Raw is things continued to get personal between dun, dun, dun. and Vincent Mann. As the main part of the show was Shane trying to find Vince. He, he was concerned that Vince may do something reckless to get back at DX. And uh, they find um, outside in the parking lot, just sitting in his car with a, a baseball bat for no for no reason. And Vince basically yelled at Shane, just like, to leave him alone. And then quite late into the show, uh, DX arrived in a limo, which then Vince managed to drive his car into the limo over and over again before getting out and smashing the windows in with a baseball bat. And then chases DX to their locker room. And then... <laughs> The Vince McMahon getting arrested for uh, assault and battery, and then Triple H to then remind you, I'm a heel, uh, takes a cheap shot at Vince McMahon while he's got handcuffs on. And Raw is just filled with weird segments of Vince being taken to a police station. <laughs> and, and and Vince uh, books the main event from, from prison. He, uh, he phones that Triple H must take on the acolytes in a handicap match and no member of DX is allowed to get involved or they will face a 30-day suspension and uh, Shane on his 12th half accepts Triple H's match at Armageddon and says that Vince v Triple H will also be no holds barred and I think the, the joke reference oh Vince put this from jail which I think is maybe a reference to Vince saying that if he ended up going down for the steroid trial he would still be involved in the booking for like for the company but he would book from jail <laughs> I just I love this image of having it that you can imagine I'm gonna say like a John Laurinaitis or Jim Ross walking down um, this prison and you can hear the clacking of their shoes as they're walking down and all these prisoners look at them going like who are you and then they just stop at the end and just got like Jim Ross or John Laurinaitis turning around and you just got this like a Hannibal Lecter type cage or <laughs> plastic sheet it and then but inside you just have Vince McMahon power walking back and forth saying right this week this is what we're going to do we're going to have 30 day suspensions for the New Age Outlaws we're going to have Triple H facing the Hardcore Hardcore Holly, Crash Harley Big Boss Man and Steve Blackman do we still have Steve Blackman? I'm assuming so, yes and just going back and forth and do you know what? I would pay to watch that. I reckon watching that man walk, walk, power walking back and forth for two hours, uh, booking from prison would be amazing. I mean, if they was if they sold it for nine ninety nine a month, I think I'd be tempted. I don't know about you. <laughs> I don't know. There is such a place you can see things like that for nine ninety nine. Well, we'll never move. But that would be inspired if you could think about it, couldn't you? Be inspired. I know. We're well away. We're well away from that stuff like that. But to Triple H's credit, he takes a he takes a hell of a beating at the hands of the athlete. So he just kicks fuck out of him. He eventually manages to he, he's not try to win the match. He just try to get out of it. Because <laughs> uh, at one point, Bradshaw accidentally hits Farouk with the clothesline from Hill. Then Triple H crashes here, hits Bradshaw with it, and then tries to escape up the ramp. But then Vince, who two segments earlier had been released from jail, so I don't know how close this. Uh, this police station was the arena. I think I think it might be like the WCW that one. Yeah, the, the night the finger poked in where they, they accidentally showed it was right across the road. Yeah, <laughs> and it turned out Gobo couldn't make it because he didn't want to be accused of jaywalking. So therefore, it took him two hours to get back. Yeah. <laughs> so Vince comes out behind Triple H's back. He takes him by a chair and then throws him off the stage into this conveniently placed crash van. 
Oh, the convenience of that is fantastic. But uh, Vince McMahon is now coming across as the second biggest babyface in the company behind The Rock. And that's only because he's only been babyface probably for a month or two. Um, it, the good thing is, is that um, that obviously the WWF title is still being treated very respectively in comparison. But the Vince McMahon as a as the major hero still blows my mind. But to be fair, I love seeing Triple H get the crap beaten out of him. So I would gladly cheer on uh, Vince McMahon all he wants. So mm-hmm. well, uh, next week from the SmackDown that we're. Uh we're talking about the Raw after it is going to be the, the wedding of uh, Tess and Stephanie. I'm sure we're all looking forward to that. And on this Raw, we got uh, footage from uh, Stephanie's bridal shower, which saw uh, Mae Young getting drunk and whispering advice for Stephanie on her wedding night, which Stephanie looked appalled at. And then Blinded Mac Madness is a, a bachelor party, a bachelorette party in Las Vegas, which gets me so excited she stands up and accidentally falls face first into the cake. <laughs> Uh, what I would love is if you could have had it that as they're doing the bridal shower in Las Vegas, you just see in the background Al Snow and Mankind walking past, chasing after um, the annoying fan from last week. <laughs> if you could have had that, then that would that would have made my my night. I would have loved it. I would have watched every moment of that of that um, bridal shower just to see Mick Foley and Al Snow in the background. But what I want to see, oh, we were talking about remaking films of wrestlers last week. I want to see a remake of The Hangover with Linda Miller and Mae Young having to wake up the next night, the next day, and try and find Stephanie for who's went missing. <laughs> and then see a version of The Hangover with those three. Mae Young's definitely the, the Alan of the group. <laughs> yeah, um, I can totally see how it's. Uh, I, can, I think uh, Fabulous Moolah would probably, I think, be. Do you think she would be the main one? Oh, what was his name? Um, Bradley Cooper. Do you think she would be Bradley Cooper, where she would be like, I don't really give a shit, but I've got to deal with this shit. And then Linda could be the one who's got a missing tooth and is uh, overreacting at everything. Oh, my God. We we should totally do this. We should totally do this. But who's going to be Mike Tyson? We can't have Mike Tyson now. Um <laughs> We're going to have to... Oh. Muhammad Ali. Muhammad Ali can come in and he'll be our version for the bridal shower. How's that? I was going to say, bring Arnie back. I mean, he was making End of Days and from what we talked about last few weeks ago when we actually read the description of End of Days, Arnie wasn't doing much quality these days. So, fuck it, bring him back and he can be the Mike Tyson now. To be fair, he's got the most almighty backslap I've ever seen in my life. He, I'm pretty sure he sent Triple H about five feet when he exhibited that one. So if you could have Arnie appearing in The Hangover with Fabulous Moolah, Mae Young and Linda McMahon. Oh, take my money. I'll book that ticket today. I will sit in the front row and then afterwards say to myself, what the fuck am I doing with my life? <laughs> I mean, Triple H, people say about the size of Triple H's nose now. You should have seen it before Arnie's backhand. Um, he took a good few inches off of that thing. Oh, it's just, it was absolutely amazing. But like, when you see like Triple H going for the punch and you have like Arnie sort of like matrixing, matrixing back in preparation and then he just unleashes the hand of fury and just like 
Um, Joe, if he'd hit it any harder, I think he would have de- decapitated Triple H. So, thankfully, Arnie held back his muscles and decided to save that for the devil in End of Days. <laughs> uh, we get another cold open for SmackDown this week. This time, DX aren't beating up an old man. They're, uh, they're waiting patiently by the entrance to the arena with an uh, unnamed lawyer. Oh, we'll just say DX is just waiting there for for Vince to arrive and then the show actually opens with our, our WAF champion The Big Show being interviewed by JR Big Show by the way despite Bossman being said saying he's in a one contender he's in a one contender but somehow everybody can get title shot before him because on Raw Big Show held an open challenge for the WAF title which was answered by Kane and to be fair despite the fact that these two have wrestled like thousands of times over the years and 80% of their matches are crap. This was actually a pretty decent match. You had Kane hitting an Insegiri at one point. Uh, actually, I'm pretty sure a powerbomb from Kane while he was in the corner hitting punches and carried it into a powerbomb. Uh, Viscera gets Kane counted out but because uh, he distracted him and went after Tory again and then just Kane beat up Viscera a bit, threw him in the ring and Big Show slams him. And then that's that segment over. Kane's not even annoyed that he missed out on being WRF champion. And uh, the feud of the century with Vissada continues. It's, it's like the idea that Kane gets this opportunity um, to get a WF title match. Because, you know, first come, first serve. And I don't think many were going to get him in the way of a fire-breathing homicidal maniac like Kane in order to get the opportunity. The idea that Kane and Big Show had a relatively good match is amazing considering, like you said, 80% of theirs was crap, 15% of theirs was house show, and I'm pretty sure the other 4% we've barred from our memories. But I'm glad they had that 1% that was good. Um, but I, I get the idea of what they're trying to do with Big Show, making him a fighting champion. I, I imagine he wants to be a bit of a fighting champion. Um, but the matches that he's facing when the the quality of them, there's not enough main eventers to go around to make it look impressive. And unfortunately there's a massive gap between the main event and the mid card. There's no one really in that position of other mid card who would be adequate enough to challenge. It's, this is, as as I was saying last week, and I get the feeling this is going to be my version of a running trope throughout uh, these episodes, the transitional period at the moment is mainly to try and make new superstars. But because they don't have those new superstars, the, ch- the title defences that they're throwing out are looking relatively weak because they're either against people who are almost too good for it and don't need it or they're against people who shouldn't be in that match at all um and that and that is going to be quite worrying for the state of the big show's title reign if it continues like this mm-hmm. and uh, unfortunately it's going to continue like this because uh, jr talks to the big show about being champion and i just put my notes i'm not beating in the bush big show cuts the ship for a moment but how much being the WF champion means to him and he talks about his father, in case people forgot his father is dead in kayfabe because his dad died years before they did the whole angle. And then he gets interrupted by Jericho to a massive pop again, because the manager mm. do no wrong. He says, it doesn't matter about your dad being dead, because tonight Y2J will be his daddy, apparently. You know, <laughs> we, we, 
the implosion of Jericho ten years before Jericho was even a thing. <laughs> uh, Jericho challenges him to a no DQ match for the title right there and then. <laughs> it's, so I uh, I agree completely about the shit promo. It was generic babyface number one um, wanting to make his dad proud, which brings into question all those stories we heard about how his dad was Andre the Giant in WCW. So maybe it turns out that the Big Show actually has several daddies. That's what Jericho is referring to. Um, but the fact that Jericho comes out and he's in the midst of in a, in a slightly emasculating um, feud with China and Jericho still looks like more of a star. He's better on the microphone. He's got that natural charisma and wit that the fans react to. And he makes I, he makes the big show look very plain in comparison. And Jericho, to some degrees, when he mentions about you think you deserve to be champion because you're over seven feet tall, it's like... Kind of hit it on nail on the head there, Jericho. Actually, I have to say, Chris, uh, if it was be- if you were seven feet tall, you'd probably be a six-time WWE champion by now. But it's the comparison and contrast between the two: the hero, plain, boring, just happens to be big, and then Jericho, heel, supposed to be an asshole, but actually, you just can't help but to, but watch him because he's so charismatic, he's so interesting. Um, to some degrees, I think this was almost a mistake putting the two up against each other because it makes Big Show look even weaker as a champion when you see how good Jericho is. Mm-hmm. I think they're trying to get Big Show by like having this heel come out and run in his mouth, and then Big Show like just shuts them up because. For the most part, when the actual wrestling happens, and in very commas, with quotation marks, that the big show is very much manhandling Jericho. Jericho gets very little of any offense, and and big show then takes his, his mind off the match because the boss man comes out, and it feels like oh, segment's just going to end there. Big show and boss man brought to the back, and they use that to actually get us to care about their their match coming up at arm again. But no. They brawl off to the side of the stage. As we see coming down the stage, China comes in with a massive cast on her arm and somehow conceals a we- the weapon that she's got with her as Jericho waters right up to her. And China, as casually as you'd like, hits him in the face with a hammer twice. And, like, and Jericho just laid out. And then Big Show, I uh, guess that fight with Bossman didn't take too long because he just casually wanders right back, hits Jericho with a choke slam, and retains the title. What a cluster of a segment, I have to say, because somehow you've made it that your number one contender looks less impressive because your champion can take a break in the middle of a match to discard him and come back to still win. It, it would have made more sense for Big Show and Boss Man to have gone battling into backstage. And imagine if the Boss Man had actually succeeded with something. Like, maybe he actually did knock the Big Show down. He starts getting a bit of his heat back. But instead, it takes Big Show the equivalent of, like, two minutes, maybe less, in order to discard him and come back again. And then you've got China um, attempting manslaughter with a hammer 
Um, I'm surprised that the I'd be surprised if they don't bring up next week that Jericho is going to try and sue her for ABH because I'm pretty <laughs> sure that could have happened. Um, but what's even more interesting is that the moment she did it, she was booed, and I don't mean like slight little bits of boo. She she was booed considering mm-hmm. she's supposed to be the hero, and I was surprised. But that almost seems to be the case where yes. It was impressive that China beat Jeff Jarrett because Jeff Jarrett was a really good heel. Despite any flaws he might have, he's very easy to dislike. Uh, but now that China has gone up against someone who is much better in Jericho, suddenly it's, it's no longer the same. And you've got it that the fans are slowly turning against China, I think, in terms of supporting Jericho because Jericho's more interesting. That's what I'm hoping it is. I'm hoping it's a case that Jericho's more interesting and not that 21 years ago women beating was very much um, cheered, which would make me feel massively uncomfortable for the rest of this uh, episode. But it makes China look bad because she gets booed when she's supposed to be a big face. You've got it that Jericho looks not that great, although he comes out of it relatively well. In fact, Jericho might be the least harmed in this match. Bossman doesn't look great as a number one contender. And Big Show looks generic in comparison. So really, as an overall segment, if your aims were to make three out of four of your competitors look worse afterwards, then I would call this a raging success. If it wasn't, it's a major fail. Like, and it's weird because Jericho actually gets up before he, he thought the choke slams delivered. So he might say he's slightly recover from a, a two hammer shots to the head. Because like that just goes to show the difference between wrestling and reality. Because if you mm. actually hit somebody with even the smallest hammer, like a small light hammer in the face, you're you're very you're very close to that's attempted murder. That is definitely like, like you, I know you took out your thumb, but this isn't a, a one to the hospital, one to the morgue situation in China. You don't hit someone in the face with a hammer. And Bossman do a big show. He 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 has a match later on for his hardcore title, and they don't think they make any mention to what happened earlier on. His previous appearances is swept completely under the rug, and like the fact that Jericho, like he said, has looked like less harm was done to him than anybody else in the segment. And it's actually weird because when you think about it, and you read Jericho's second book, it seems like the most harm was meant to come to him because. You know, he got beat up by China, he got humiliated by the big show by being beaten in such quick fashion. And then later on, for which he's going to make a dig his way, which Jericho puts down his as him having heat at the time because China complained to Vince and Triple H, who she was still dating at the time, that Jericho was too stiff with her in the ring, despite the fact she wanted to be treated as an equal. And Jericho felt like he was still adapting to the style at the time and the WF as compared to WCW, China compared to say that he wasn't the best worker and that he was too rough on her. And that apparently got shit on Jericho and it create, caused tension between him and Triple H for ages. Mm. I think I, I, I think I remember reading the same book, actually, and um, that might be um, in the back of my mind when I'm watching this segment because you can tell the intent seems to be make Jericho look inadequate. They've put him in a storyline where he basically looks crazed and um pathetic um and yet because of how good he is 
he is almost able to transcend it to the point that he actually ends up becoming probably the favourite of the four in fold. And I think that's because even the fans, despite it being probably 10 years before the idea of burying was known to the majority of wrestling fans, they could tell Jericho was being mistreated. He got brought in as a big superstar, supposedly, and now it's completely changed. Um, the I did find it interesting that it seems that Jericho was able to withstand two hammer shots um, from China. I'm wondering whether a then partner Triple H would learn from that and decide, oh, maybe I should get a bigger hammer and then I'm more likely to win matches. And Jericho would turn out to be one who regularly got hit with it and could say, yes, you would win with a bigger hammer. Um, it's just, uh, it's, it's, an interesting segment to kick off the show, but it doesn't give you much hope if you've your first segment, three out of four of your competitors look worse than they did going in. Yeah, he says that maybe you should get a bigger hammer. And you know what would really put it over the edge? If you put your hand over the bit where you actually hit the people with, that would really increase the impact when you actually hit people with it. <laughs> and you should you know what you should have had? You should have had it. Umaga didn't need the spiked thumb. He just needed to get the sledgehammer and put his thumb at the end of it and the trajectory would have been even better. And then he might have actually sent someone to the morgue. Oh, see, this was a mistrick. We need to rebook Umaga in 2005 or six, wherever it is. So uh, we'll wait to see if you get that far enough. So we'll, we'll find out later. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And it's weird that this title match and the time before, like with DX waiting, this is maybe if, if five minutes, the first five minutes of the show, if that. Mm. So that shows how rushed these shows are at the time. And it cuts out, say, where Vince has arrived again, five minutes after your show has already started and you own the company. So very irresponsible, Vince. But he's uh, served with a, a temporary order of protection from DX. He cannot come within 50 feet of DX. So it's a restraining order. Like and yet they keep putting the phrase temporary order of protections like in twenty thirteen the W title's not vacant, it's being held in abeyance. Like <laughs> what does that even mean? Well, Undertaker Undertaker's not in a coma, he's in a vegetative state. <laughs> like, how can we write around it to make it seem l uh less intimidating? Uh it just gave me uh reminders of when WCW had it that uh, Turner Broadcasting System said you couldn't use any um, anything that could upset the foreign market. So instead of calling a chair a foreign object, they had to call it an international weapon. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, that's what it felt like. Where it's like, oh, it's a temporary order of protection. And later on, Jay Lord even said, so it's not a restraining order. And it's like, all right, Jerry, just lay it on a little bit thicker for those at home who didn't get the reference, please. It's just out and out say it's a restraining order. You can tell it just if it was a villain, if it if it was Triple H who was having it against him, it would be a restraining order because it's supposed to be the hero. It's a temporary order of protection. And it just ends up sounding like complete and bull crap. You're just like, what are you actually on about? Just out and out say it. But. I, I, the idea kind of works in that Triple H is now getting to the point that he's gonna he's gonna do everything he can to annoy 
uh, Vince McMahon. You can tell this is where he's starting to show his intelligence as an opponent and trying to put everyone off their game. He's starting to show his cerebral side. But um, the other element is that it does make it look a little bit pathetic that your main heel has to have an order of protection from a 50-year-old businessman. Uh, yeah. I also love he said, oh, you can't come within 50 feet of Triple H. Then Triple H yells at Vince like, to get walking. He's like, yeah, you're, viol- you're in violation of the order. You're within 50 feet. He's saying this as he's walking towards Vince. Like, you are, you are, you are yourself violating the, the order that is meant to protect you. And then Vince, so instead of Vince leaving the arena because he's not meant to be 50 feet, he walks awkwardly around DX to wander off to his office. And then they had the students come in like, what what's a temporary order of restriction of protection, Mister McMahon? And, like, <laughs> and and uh, so Vince says to get back at DX, saying he can still make their life hell even from fifty feet away. Saying that he says that we're gonna have a rematch of the Outlaws versus the Hardys this time in a steel cage, and uh, Test and Shane are gonna take on Triple H and X Pac in tonight's main event. So. Uh, Again, it's continuing to get even more personal. Just when you thought it wasn't personal, it becomes personal again. <laughs> uh, before, it was personal. Now, it's really, really personal. Uh, you're just going to... Uh, just have to have it every week. You just have a new subheading saying, like, um, extra level of personal. Oh, is this a temporary order of protection? No, it's an extra level of, of personal. That's what we're going for um it says something that the best part of that segment was your impression of Gerald briscoe uh, i have to say <laughs> i thought that was actually really good i love that um but i like i like the matches i think it makes sense um you want it that's that that's fence's vindictive side coming out which he he's always gonna have so i like that that he's gone do you know what i'm gonna punish dx which makes sense and in his, pa- in his position, why not? It makes sense, and it continues him booking Triple H against the Acolytes. Technically, he's made it more fair this time because he's given Triple H a partner. Maybe Vince is softening in his own old age. So um, it's nice to see Briscoe and Patterson appear without blood down their face, you know, uh, a lot less awkward uh, considering last week. But I love the fact that these tag matches are booked on beyond building on what happened the previous week you're starting to show that continuity that development that episodic nature where what happened last episode will actually impact upon this one so like, oh yeah last week we had uh, outlaws versus hardy boys hardy boys got screwed well let's punish the outlaws and put them in a cage match you know thankfully they bring the cage uh, match with them everywhere they go so they don't have to rush out and get it they obviously already had it prepared but it's it this is this was an element I enjoyed showing the building of last week and developing from what had already occurred, showing things growing as it goes along. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was personal last week. This week it's too fast, too personal. Next week it'll be too personal, Tokyo Drift. And, it'll, <laughs> and then eventually the rock will get involved and it'll kinda get better for a while. And then he'll buck off and John Cena will come along and it'll just deteriorate into you'll even recognize how personal it is by the end 
Oh, do you know what? I'd watch that series. If you want to edit that together again, I feel like this way I should give you a list of things to edit uh, that we're discussing during this show, and then you just send them all to me, and I'll be like, yes, I will gladly watch um, Fast Five, The Rock Wins, and then just see what happens from there and just continue. Um, yeah, good. It's a solid start to the show in terms of the story. And it sort of like makes up for a little bit of the cluster in the last um, segment, I have to admit. Yeah. We have a, a proper match to come up next. We have Kurt Angle taking on uh, D'Lo Brown. Uh, Kurt Angle took on D'Lo's former friend Mark Henry on the Raw before this, where he says, like, why are you people cheering this guy over me? I, I won at the Olympics. This guy came almost last in his Olympic efforts. And he said, this guy went all was out at topless bar the night before his event. Cut to Mark Henry, the biggest cheeser on his face. Like a <laughs> cat level smile on his face. Angle beats Mark Henry fairly easily. And uh, we forgot to mention this is a, a Thanksgiving episode of SmackDown. And Angle talks about how I'm thankful for my three eyes. I'm thankful for my God-given ability and how great I am. And basically, like, I would like you all to show me the, the appreciate level of, of love and support in my match and the fans just boo the hell out of him and uh, he's taking on D'Lo Brown who uh, he's not he's not getting the biggest reactions nowadays that he used to but still a, still a decent match Kurt Angle versus D'Lo Brown I love the fact that literally just a week on you can already see the improvement in Kurt Angle in terms of like last week he got a bit of heat this week he got a lot of hate. He was get like the fans were booing him quite strongly. Um, he was very good on the mic, good promo work. He's you can see this development of someone who is hitting the ground running and seems to just get it. He understands what his job is and he's very good at it. And it's it's I love watching him get better and better each time. Um, D'Lo Brown solid mid card uh, at one point could have been an upper main eventer considering he was the first ever um euro continental champion um but it seemed like that was his heyday they never really um never really um capitalized upon it they never really took him further and now it's almost like the heat around him or that or sorry i should say the um the attention around him has died down a little bit and he, he may not ever come up to that uh, level again he's still solid in the ring which is good because i think when you've got a young talent like Kurt angle who needs to be taught how to wrestle to a good standard and then bring out his own strengths He's got the promo work down quite well already. He'll, he, you can tell, you'll improve as he goes along. Dilo Brown is a solid enough hand, and it's been proven that he can help Angle have a good match. But it did feel like a very sudden ending. I don't know about you. To me, it felt like very. Oh, hang on, that's just happened. Yeah, like, like I said, I think I said it before that a lot of Angle's matches seem to end very suddenly. Like you'll somehow catch them with the Olympic Slam. And uh, and hit it from out of nowhere and a win. Like I think we, it's fine when he's against guys like 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 Sean Stasiak or Gangrel, but you'd actually like to see him have longer matches with someone like a D'Lo Brown, because mm. D'Lo and X Pac around about ninety eight ninety nine, they were the guys basically you put them in there 
and if they can have good matches with workers like those guys, then you know how good someone is. They can probably have a good match with anybody. Mm. And so like, you'd want to see something with D'Lo and, and Kurt. And I, thought, I feel like we were just like... It's weird how much they rush through things on a taped show. Like Maybe this is a case of maybe it was taped down further, taped down to make it look shorter. And unlike the match... Uh, one of the matches we've seen last week with Jericho and Mark Henry, it just didn't seem as obvious. The cuts weren't as as obvious as they were last week. Yeah, you could be right, actually. Um, that's a really good shout, because I didn't notice any obvious cuts in this match, whereas last week with Mark Henry and Chris Jericho, it was the equivalent of a klaxon sign telling you that there had been a really bad edit. Um it doesn't surprise me that Dilo Brown would be one of those you put into the ring to see how good a worker you are. I like the fact you mentioned X-Pac as well, because that was uh, who Jericho was put with, according to his uh, autobiography, in order to show how good a worker he was in order to get used to the style. It's probably easier with Kurt Angle because he didn't have any bad habits to bring in from WCW or ECW or anything like that. He was molded pretty much from the beginning by WWF and that made it easier for him to be put in matches like Adilo Brown who is a solid hand and can show whether or not you're good at what you do and the fact that they're now angles on what 5-0 um, in terms of victories and is showing that he can get these victories convincingly enough that it's impressive but also in a way that it's like, mm, did the did his opponents underestimate him? There's a lot of possibilities to come up with angle just to pe- just just by watching this one match. You can see there's potential there. He can grow. He's got a lot of talent that's waiting to come out. And the better wrestlers he faces, the more impressive he'll be. Mm-hmm. Definitely, he's, he's, the development is getting there. He's like. It is very it seems like he does do the same thing each week where he comes out, has an impressive match, gives it out to the fans and thinks he's over. But the repetition of it every time he does it, he seems more confident and you're actually seeing more of the sports entertainment. He's getting more comfortable on the microphone. Like he's more comfortable here than he was even like a week ago. So like you can definitely see the quick development and what people say when they talk about how how quickly Crangle picked up the, the business and we go from there to Al Snow is, is very upset with Mankind because he doesn't like The Rock and suddenly it seems like Mankind's running back to The Rock because on Raw this past week, Rock basically said, I didn't throw your book in the trash and then he made reference to uh, one of the, the chapters and Mankind's also saying like, oh, so he did read my book and The Rock was meant to have a match, a tag match with a mystery partner against Albert and the boss man and The Rock revealed my partner is the people. And I remember as much as I love The Rock, I was watching watching Raw and I just yelled at the TV, oh, fuck off. <laughs> the Rock relies too much on the, the people. Like, Ryan Kane said he was going to kick Brock in the testicles. Hey, these aren't just any testicles. These are the people. Like, he, his is, as I said a few weeks back, he has the Marks and Spencer style of promo and that it's not just any ordinary thing, it's the people's thing. And he can slate that anywhere and pass it off and people will cheer him like he's a, a, a genius. And I say this as someone who loves The Rock. Like, I'm always a Rock over Austin person. Mm. But, like, it was one of these things like, oh, shut up, bro. Like, if he's, like he, he had the match and then Mankind came out to basically make the save. 
and the rocking man came beat up beat man beat uh, Albert and the boss man. Now later on in the night, Mankind and the Rock will team up again. The Rock and Sock seemingly back together against the the Holy Cousins for the number one contendership for the tag team titles. And uh, Mankind says, you know, oh, I'll, I'll put a word about you know, maybe three of us can hang out together. Like, what you think the Rock would like to hang out with me? Man, probably not, but you know, I'll put in a good word. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that doesn't even surprise me that um, that the Rock would say his tag team partner is the people like the rock his entire persona is being a cocky asshole he is he's he's an asshole but he's cool and you can't help but like him um it's very contradictory to what would be his persona in hollywood decades later down the line where he's known as one of the nicest people ever but back here He's just, an, he's a bit of a cocky asshole. And it doesn't surprise me. He goes, oh, the people will be my partner. But I, I like to imagine that um, that getting to see him and Mankind back together, they are two of the most popular in the company. They have great chemistry and charisma together. They bounce off each other really well. And that final line of saying to Al Snow, oh, I'll put a good word in for you. It's just like Al Snow basically just has life drop on him all the time. And it would be completely in character. You think to yourself, oh, maybe Al Snow's got a chance. No, Al Snow will never have a chance. But Mick will at least try. And Mick is like that tran- is like that transcendence between the two. He's the nerdy side of Al Snow, but he's the popularity of The Rock, which makes mankind even more fascinating. Um the fact that within 10 minutes of teaming back up together, they're going to be battling for the number one contendership for the tag team titles. That definitely suggests that they're trying to keep the two of them out of the main event scene in order to not distract from Big Show, Boss Man, Vince and Triple H, which is what we were pretty much saying last week that we felt it was, he was, they were the rock, especially was sort of like being shoved to the side a little bit to not detract or uh, distract. Wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, <coughs> when you've got these many like stars over, but you can't have them all in the main event at the same time. So why not like put them together? Like, yeah, let's reunite the Rock and Salt that broke up only a month ago. Uh, nobody will care. Like they love the Rock and they love Mankind. So however, what the people don't love is the Bulldog, and he's out here to defend his European title against Val Venus. <coughs> and my God, the story going into this. It was epic. You see, what happened was, first, you had the Bulldog and Valvinus as a team on Raw against Too Cool. And then Bulldog picked up one of the members of Too Cool for a slam, and he accidentally hit Valvinus. And that made Valvinus very cross. That's it. That's, that's why they have the fact they had a tag match on Raw. They weren't compatible as a team. And now Valvinus is worthy of a European title shot and uh, there was a lot more to that tag match, but uh, the, that fallout comes later. So we'll talk strictly about Val versus the Bulldog here. That was such a mess. Like, so you're basically telling me that the Val, uh, Val Venus is the hero, but Val Venus walks out on his partner because he got accidentally hit, and he's still mm-hmm. the good guy. He's that's the actions of a heel that's what you expect from someone who's about to make their turn and say oh actually i'm a bad guy now you don't expect that from the good guy and technically 
by Val Venus doing a heels manoeuvre, he's been rewarded with a title shot against the British Bulldog. I'd, I'd get it if Bulldog was the one who got hit and then had walked out. That would make sense to me because he's already shown that he's willing to basically cheat and do whatever he can to keep the title. And then Val Venus would be so angry that he would say he wants a match and it got given to him. But it's almost like they just went, oh, we're going to have one of them to turn on the other and then they'll have a match. Oh, so we're going to have um, Bulldog turn on Venus. Nah, that's too obvious. Let's have a swerve and let's change it round. And then it becomes nonsensical. And it's this is this is like writing 101. They like. You're either saying it's out of character for Val Venus to walk out, or you're saying it's in character. In which case, why is Val Venus likable? Why is he the good guy if he's the type that will walk out on you? It's unfortunately it's a cluster of a storyline, and I was I was not impressed by it. I have to admit, in the lead up to it, and it was if you if you have an underwhelming lead in, it doesn't give you much hope for the match itself. Yeah, because the match was just god awful. Because like. Seemed to be a botch around like a standard elbow drop where like one the guy who was meant to have moved and then they redid it so like was he meant to move was he meant to get hit with that elbow uh, a decent looking spine buster from Val Val goes to the top for the money shot and gets the most blatant low blow from Bulldog despite Bulldog saying oh no I hit him in the upper thigh and uh, Bulldog retains but loses the match via DQ and then wanders off so proudy himself. So proud, I think he forgets to take the European belt with him. He did forget. I noticed that. He forgot to take the belt with him, which makes him look like even more of an idiot. But you mentioned about the elbow drop. I noticed that as well. I think it was um, Fowl going for the elbow drop, and Bulldog rode to the side, and Fowl sort of like jumped up and re-hit it again. And that that was either really badly mistimed, really bad miscommunicated, or it was supposed to be a case of Val looking intelligent by taking advantage, but they didn't tell the story well enough. Um, the You had it like Val Venus hit the spine buster. Lovely spine buster, by the way. Credit to him for that one. But it's 90 seconds into the match and he looks exhausted and is struggling up the ropes. And you're like, I know these matches don't run very long regularly at this time. But 90 seconds in, you should not be exhausted, especially if you're supposed to be playing a porn star. Um, and Bulldog with the low blow, which was... Oh, you you could you could pretty much... Have, I think Stevie Wonder would have noticed that was a bloody low blow, let alone the referee. And what the worst thing is, is that you've now got it, that at the end of this segment, not only does it feel like the tag match was stupid and pointless but this match felt stupid and pointless and you could you could go um you could be an immortal living for uh 5000 years never see this match and you would not miss a thing and that's the worst part the european championship if it did have any credibility is gradually being shat on more and more and it's it's disappointing considering 
the setup it had in 97 with Owen Hart and British Bulldog making it feel worthwhile, making it feel like something important. And now it's back with Bulldog for his second run and it's the complete opposite. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we talked about the editing earlier on, like, if, like you guys could have like took your time, redid the spot, they could have edited around it, and nobody would have been on the wiser. Mm. So it's just, I think part of it is like most people, even but someone like Val, who's usually quite reliable, is struggling with someone like Bulldog because Bulldog is just knackered. Like you think Val is knackered in eighty seconds, Bulldog probably suddenly realizes, oh fucking ninety seconds, Jesus. I can't go this long. Low blow. <laughs> like, oh, I think you're think you're right with that one. Actually, I can I can easily imagine Bulldog l- being ninety seconds in and legitimately going, "Fuck me, mate! I can't do anymore." Yeah, yeah. He's, he's from the Yorkshire part of Manchester, as a uh, as Bulldog. <laughs> well, I, I'm I all I know is that I'm from Janatown of Plymouth. So to be fair. I sound like a country bumpkin regardless of what I say. So I don't know why I'm bothering with impressions. It's just going to be horrendous. <laughs> uh, so DX are angry about this whole, uh, what they've been forced to do later on. They're, yeah, they've been forced to wrestle and they're annoyed about it. So Triple H says they need to be more thankful. They need to get in this spirit of Thanksgiving. So they'd go outside, Triple H talks, talks up Rochester, which is where the show is happening. And they go, nah, this place sucks. <laughs> and then there's some homeless people. And during the night, we had these shots of uh, people preparing all this Thanksgiving food backstage. Like, oh, there's a, there's a tradition, the Thanksgiving feast. Really? Is it, is it really a tradition? Because I've never heard of it. I don't think <laughs> you've ever mentioned it before, so it's not, it can't be a tradition. <laughs> and, uh, and so DX invite these homeless people into, into the venue to have some dinner. Which would seem like a good thing, but like this is gonna come back later on. But like this is a thing. Like, what is the point of this? But we would find out what the point of it is later on. I'm I'm not gonna lie. I had a bad feeling as soon as they brought the homeless people in, and I I withhold my overall thoughts on it for later on. But I think you can kind of gather from my hint that it will not be positive. So. Uh, Kane, you lost your WTO match to Big Show. I know it's about it was by count out, so you're gonna have to start from the bottom up. So you're getting a shot at the hardcore title as he takes on the big boss man in a match that under hardcore rules immediately descends into a crowd brawl. Luckily mm. this is a venue that regularly houses hockey, so it's a penalty box for Kane to send boss man into. It like the fact that the you know boss man come in, he's getting a couple of booze and he's look and he look he's looking at the crowd and I don't know and it looks like a mixture of annoyance and oh thank God they've noticed me, because um, of how badly he's been set up. The idea that Kane being punished for losing his WWF title match and having to start from the bottom against uh, the hardcore champion, one is believable, two says something about the hardcore title that it'll be rated that lowly and three just continues how badly boss man has been but as a number one contender it's horrendous watching how badly he's being let down by the writers because the 24 7 rule hasn't been put into effect yet 
So you have to properly actually have a, a match like this to win the title. And Boston's had it for more than a month. And to me, it's just like, I can't handle someone being hardcore champion for that long. Like, why did they not take the belt off Bossman before his match with Big Show? Like, Big Show, he's going to go into Armageddon as champion, about the hardcore champion. But, like, one, you don't even care about devaluing the hardcore belt if he loses the show because it's that low down in the top. But, like, I've, I've talked about how we talked about how the European title is valued, and yet somehow that's above probably the. It's a fight between the European and the. The hardcore title, see which is the lowest down on the totem pole here, because even the women get a decent hardcore match every now and then. <laughs> it's basically like which one smells less of shit, unfortunately. Uh, is it the European Championship or the hardcore championship? Um, it's it. It would have made this could have actually been a really good opportunity if the boss man had been booked well at this point, but was still hardcore champion you could have had the big show interfere and have Kane win it. And that way you move the hardcore title off of the boss man. So therefore you don't devalue the title when he's facing big show at Armageddon, you give Kane a title, which he would deserve. And I think he would actually, I've years later, we'll get an opportunity to see, but I think at this time he would have been a very fascinating choice as hardcore champion. Cause he still has that element of a, upper mid carder so he could have hopefully raised the level of the hardcore championship um and also i think it would have worked perfectly with his ongoing storyline that was brought back in this in this match as as you'll obviously explain in a second but can you imagine if like at armageddon kane was hardcore champion mm-hmm. yeah i think that would have him because like even if like you give it to kane for a week or so but like he took off Bossman and then quickly transitioned it on a like Prince Albert if he's like the underling for so like now you've brought it back to like the Bossman Albert like tag team and now Bossman's like, Oh yeah, well now my protege he's gonna he's now the hardcore champion and now I'm gonna have the the, the title earned here and tell the story about both of them wanting gold and like you could have done something with it because Bossman just looks like an arsehole here because he just gets beat up for the majority of this match by Kane, which is believable because Kane's a monster, but like, Kane has lost, Kane, like, earlier in the year, we're about the midpoint, was, like, would, like, be dominated in matches by the big show, and now he easily beating up Bossman, so that then says, well, how's Bossman going to fare when he eventually gets in the ring with big show? Mm. And then you have uh, Tori backstage, and uh, she's watching the match, she's obviously concerned for Kane, Kane thinks she'd be safe in the backstage area, but no, Visser is there, and he's still trying to hit on Tori, and she says the ultimate move. She knows Visser's weakness, running. She knows she can easily outrun Visser. <laughs> it's like, oh, oh no, Visser has gotten rapey. Um, uh, it's like, this is definitely 99 writing. Um, like, there's no, like, subtext to it whatsoever. you got Visser ripping off Tori's jacket in a dressing room. And so Tori does what every um, every female in a horror movie from the 80s used to do and runs from the creature or the horrible monster to run to the other big scary monster for protection. And it's amazing. And it says something when it Tori gets to Kane, 
Kane has enough time to react, finish the match, and Visser is only just rocking up, and that's probably because there may have been a golf cart that took him halfway around the building. Um, it's, I, it's, it's mad to me that they're creating an ongoing storyline between Kane and Visser when there's a complete gulf in um, ability and interest. Like Kane comes into the comes into any match and you and see like I want to see it I'm I'm curious to see what happens because he's awesome he's got this all around him this is big and that's about it and it just oh it's 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 uncomfortable to watch at points it's badly booked it's a terrible finish it's it it can do you know what it really suits this episode in that the the overall booking and protection of the wrestlers is really bad a lot of them come out looking worse every segment so far i don't know whether you'd agree with me but i don't think this one was good for any of them really yeah i think we, we had some complaints a bit last week i think this week's probably the worst of the two that we've had to go one through like the actual bollocks of the type of matches we've got to talk about, mm. and two, yeah, the way some back characters are being booked because it's not even Bossman that takes advantage of Kane being distracted. It's Albert who, well, like, where the hell did you come from? Mm. The text came from behind with like a pipe, and then Bossman just mentions the scramble on the cover, run away, and then Vistar shows up, but also he's so knackered from that run, like, all Kane basically has to do is barely nothing, basically tells him to go away, and Vistar just scurries off. To have a lie down because he's he's had his yearly exercise. <laughs> yeah, I, I I it literally has just popped into my head when you say about scurrying away. You can imagine like um Viscera finally appearing out of breath, Kane like and then Viscera doing a Soyberg impression, just going and just like going to the side in order to get away from him. And that's how intimidating he is. He looks like the most prophetic um character from Futurama. It's absolutely it's you've got it. Boss man looks weak. Um, Kane looks like an idiot in that he was distracted enough on the match to lose, even though he was completely on top of it. And Fisra looks like he should have a he should be nicknamed a sexual predator. Um, it would take about six years, but he finally would be. Um, but it's just, oh, it's just painful to watch this ending because. You think you had so much potential. You could have even had Fisra um, attacking Kane after Kane wins um, and then lead that into their storyline going on forward. You could have had it that uh, Big Show appears out of nowhere, choke slams Boss Man, Kane gets the victory. It's almost like them saying, do you know what? You're unlucky on war. You didn't deserve to be screwed out of the match. So here's my appreciation to you. Big Show looks a little bit better. But to be fair, by that point, from the writing they've done for the boss man, you probably could have stuck a fork in him because he was pretty much done as a number one contender. And also, we've still got two more weeks to go before he actually gets his shot. So the extra outside... The excerpt said they find even more homeless people, and uh, some good-natured barbs uh, from from Triple H. One of them gets compared to Bam Bam Bigelow, who famously had issues with Triple H and the Click, and is actually at this point in time he's still part of WCW. I think he's part of the Jersey Triad with DDP and Canyon, 
and then this guy who has a sign that will work for food or whatever, like, it was points I'm like, you can't work, you're worse than Jericho. Which is something Jericho made knowledge of in his book. It, I don't think it was a good idea for Triple H to name people, because unfortunately it just reminds me of things that are more um, enjoyable than this segment. Um, like Bam Bam Bigelow is one of the most underrated big man workers I think in ever. I mean, he was able to get an yeah. NFL player uh, to look adequate in a WrestleMania match. Um, Triple H couldn't even have a good match with Chris Jericho in a main event. But um, by the by, it's I, I I'd almost rather turn over to um, uh, Nitro or Thunder as it would be and watch the New Jersey Triad in comparison because at least Bam Bam Bigelow Canyon and DDP were fun whereas this just starts getting more and more uncomfortable to watch and less enjoyable um, I, again I'm going to keep my main thoughts on this ongoing segment for the ending but this was painful. <laughs> yeah. We get a recap of the Stephanie and Tess love story. And part of me thought, are they going to try and ignore the amnesia storyline because also it was a Russo thing? Nope. Oh, and then life's uncertainties got no way, Michael Cole narrates. Like, yes, there are many uncertainties in life while I find love. Uh, am I going to be able to pay my taxes this month? Or will I have to worry about a random rise up man throwing a bin at the woman I love? <laughs> it's oh the I love the I I love seeing when Bulldog picks up the trash can and he almost spins like it's a shot putt and then throws it and it it really does have the feel of oh surely he was aiming because even though Stephanie McMahon is not actually in front of the camera she's obviously got to be there so unless the bulldog has it he can only see what's on the camera in which case he needs to go to freaking spec savers then to throw in that direction he has to either aim it or he's got the luckiest shot in the world in which case i'd like him to do penalties for england the next time they're in the world cup final it's absolutely freaking ridiculous and michael cole um is obviously doing his best journalism impression of like um things took a downside things went wrong and trying to give it that real um element of uh gravitas when in actual fact you're like she got hit by a freaking trash can and turned into a soap star from dynasty give over and it just this is Russo writing. You can. It's gotta be. It's gotta be from Russo's time because it's just such a mess. And then you, it pretty much just gets scooped under the carpet in in time for the next main event. And it's just. It. Oh, it was. I I watched that and I can't believe anybody was watching that with a straight face. And I just can't wait to talk about the uh, the wedding that is taking place on the upcoming episode of Raw, and this, it's going to be amazing. I'm but, so envious. I'm so envious. Oh, I can't believe you're going to get to do that event. You're going to absolutely love it. But I can at least take away from this thinking: I got to watch a time when Stephanie McMahon was still likable. <laughs> yeah, that time is quickly slipping away from us. But, <laughs> Rock comes out for, before his match with his tag team match, and uh, 
he's talking, he's cutting a promo about Pai because there's all this Thanksgiving food around ringside as he's Pai there. And he talks about Puntang Pai. He takes up a pie that he says is Puntang Pai and lets Michael Cole try because he claims Michael Cole has never had it. And then Michael tries to go, How was your first experience with Puntang Pai? And, and before Michael Cole answers, It doesn't matter how your first experience was. So basically, it's a, red, it's a way that a lot of young people who are in the thing would just think, Oh, yeah, The Rock likes pie. But we now know he's basically implying, Michael Cole, you're a virgin. That's really <laughs> what he's saying. Oh, the, oh. You have Mankind come out first of all. He gets a very solid reaction, I'd say. Uh, does a solid promo and then sort of like stands aside and allows the real superstar to come out. And we saw last week how good Rock is with a promo uh, backstage, which means that he probably had it that if he needed to, he could recut and re-edit. But this is The Rock live. Well, well, all right, not live, but out in front of the audience and having them react to him. And you're basically watching a master holding them in the palm of his hand. He could, he pretty much could have done Jason Biggs from American Pie making love to the pie, and fans would probably still have been cheering him. And this is like him showing his like, sorry, asshole side where he picks on Michael Cole, but... Um, back then, I would have felt sorry for Michael Cole. After 20 years of him shilling crap to me, I feel like this is absolutely fantastic. But I love the fact when Michael Cole turns around to J.D. King Lorda, he's like, how would Rock know that I haven't haven't had it? And it's like, dude, you're not helping yourself. <laughs> you're not helping yourself at all. Oh. But then we have the, the match itself. It's a decent match, and it shows that the Rock and Mankin could easily beat uh, the Hollies if they're on the same page because the last time that they lost the titles to the Hollies it was because Mankind refused to tag Rock because he was angry about the book but when they actually worked together they easily dominate uh, the Hollies Mankind takes a really nasty spot off the apron which considering how beat up he is around this time it's really hard to uh, Rock hits the people's elbow on Crash and the Rock and Talk get the win so now the Rock and Talk are the number one contenders for the tag team titles uh, Alf knows watching uh, on the monitor backstage. He's chatting, having a chat to Head about it. He is, uh, he's not happy. He he hates the Rock. Uh, the good thing is, is that Al Snow doesn't look like um, an evil villain in the background watching or anything like that. Um, the Rock and Sock connection are, I'm going to say, close to magic together. In that, even though. Mankind is struggling. You can tell he's 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 really struggling to get around the ring. The injuries have really accumulated, and the fact that he's still so willing to take hard bumps for the Hollies, who no offense to the Hollies, they're not worth damaging your body for. You're not really going to gain much out of it. Um, but it shows how much of a professional Mankind still is, and I think. What suits them is that it allows both of them to have time on the outside so that they're not doing too much work. They can look after themselves. Mankind is really good at taking punishment and being able to build up for the hot tag. And the Rock's um, flurry of offense really suits being the hot tag. Like when he comes in, he's going um, hell for level on both hardcore and crash with relative ease. And... I'm one of those that normally I I get really annoyed 
if two single superstars go together and are instantly better than a tag team. I think the tag team should always usually win because they are a natural team. They should know the tricks and the trades and that sort of thing. However, in this situation, I think it works because The Rock and Mankind are so strong as individuals that when they work together, they make a really good tag team. So they are able to make it believable that they should be challenging. I'm surprised they would have it so quickly that they would get number one contendership, especially considering the Hollies haven't actually done anything to earn a contendership. Um, whereas like Too Cool are doing quite well. Edge and Christian were around last week, looked quite good. The Hardy Boys are getting another match. The Dudley brothers are around. The Acolytes uh, beat the crap out of Triple H. And yet somehow it's the Rock and Sock connection against the Holly Cousins for the number one contendership. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like again, it's been like he's a the Rock and Mankind need something else to do other than the main event. So have them challenge for the side titles, let them win this match, and that like gives them something. Doing the fans are happy to see them win. Uh, it's, it's funny how you can sum up whole segments with just one line, and that's what I've done here, and with one sentence here: DX make homeless people hungry because you bring them backstage where there's all this food and they're just almost talking with them. They won't let them eat any of it. They just have them smell it. And then the outlaws are describing their favourite Thanksgiving food. And then X-Pot goes, no, I don't really like turkey. I'm more of a fan of pot roast. And then if you didn't get the joke, uh, Road Dog repeats what he said, but then just says pot and then says roast and gives, leaves a wee space in between just so you know, X-Pot's a stoner. <gasps> is he a stoner? I would not have gathered that because he looks so clean cut and um, and impressive. That is such a shock to the system. Um, yeah, this was. Um, yeah, I think you're right. This is definitely one of those you can describe in one line, which is pretty much suited for any Triple H promo. Really, um, it's uh, three four minutes of talking that could be generated to one line. They make people hungry. What's funny about Xbox is that we just made mail you out, and yet Xbox for a few months was shilling this random energy drink for for a few months, and it's weird. Like so he's got the energy drink, he's also got his pot. Someone's may wake him up, and something's may mail him out. Just like Xbox must have been in this weird limbo for a long time while he was shilling that energy drink. He's like he's he's relaxed, but then he's too energetic at the same time. I of all the people you'd pick to shill an energy drink the guy who looks like he can he can barely be bothered to go through any promo he's so laid back that he's almost horizontal you could pretty much lay a table across him and be able to eat off it because of um how laid back he is um except for in the ring to be fair he's always had a bit of energy in the ring but it's just it would make more sense someone like um, D'Lo Brown with his head bobbing or uh, Foul Venus with being um, a porn star, which seemingly he would need the energy drink considering he only lasted 90 seconds against the Bulldog. Um, it, it's the most unlikely person I could have imagined. It would be like if Matt Riddle nowadays was uh, touting uh, Monster or Boost or something like that. You'd be like, you? Really? No. Uh, yeah, uh, as I said before, I'll, I'll, re- I'll withhold my comments on this uh, segment until the last one. Right. Now, 
throw back to what I said earlier, talking about Balvinus. At the end, of, after he wore it on uh, Bordeaux, there was a, a scuffle after the match with uh, the Mean Street Posse and Tuchel, and they were saved by a debuting Rikishi Fatu. He's finally here after he's been working dark matches uh, before SmackDown tapings. He's been working on metal, defeating the likes of Crash Holly and uh, Julio Fantastico, who, when I, re- I found that out, gave me PTSD flashbacks to when I lost that predictions contest and had to watch Heroes of Wrestling where he was on it, fighting oh. uh, Scorpio. Oh, a hard time for me. But And now he's officially made his debut randomly helping to cool and explain it in a random commentary line saying, oh yeah, according to Grandma who's 60, Rikishi's his homie. And uh, what's last smile, because after Rikishi saved them, he... Uh, they, put, they had them dance with Too Cool and the crowd popped and like it's starting the transition <laughs> of Too Cool to, obnox- to obnoxious heels to loved faces is starting and the missing ingredient was a very large Samoan man apparently uh, I think it, you'll find it was a very large Samoan man in a thong that made <laughs> all the difference evidently uh, um, I, I did notice actually that when like last week too cool um were obnoxious as hell and their promo was quite heelish and yet this week they come out and they're getting a good reaction and i asked you and uh, when i saw rikishi i was like it begins and i got all excited (laughs) because i i pretty much had it that when i started properly watching uh rikishi and too cool were very popular um and they were involved quite heavily in the mid card and even had some really big matches on raw which um uh, you'll see in january most likely and it just I, it has that instant nostalgic kick to it that i was just like yes now i'm excited and the difference in just a week from having um a fat guy in a thong join you and dance with you the moment that two cool come out, like they get a, a they don't like reaction. Like people kind of like them, and as it continues, the three of them are still likable. I mean, Grandmaster Sexy still on the edge because he can't help but do that obnoxious laugh um, during the match, which was I was like, oh, I remember now why I don't like you. But uh, <laughs> they're still on that edge. You can see that they are cha- they are transitioning. Uh, slightly into the more popular style. Um, Rikishi comes in pretty much like a house of fire and instantly seems to get a connection with the crowd, which is really impressive, I have to admit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because like, they could have easily brought Rikishi in and kept two cool as heels like, and, and presented Rikishi as kind of like this heavy for them. But no, they're, they're acting like this is a unit and like they're just having fun together. They all dance. And that's, I think that's what the crowd starts to turn the crowd on to their side. And Rikishi takes on Joey Abs here and also he dominates the majority of the match. You know, it goes, he goes for the sunset flip, but then Rikishi just sits on his chest and uh, hits a bonsai, a, a version of the, the island driver, it's called. And what's quite important to note is no stink face yet. I think that's because, like, they brought him in just as a serious big guy who occasionally dances, but the more you transition to fun loving Rikishi, that's when you actually get the sync piece, which is weirdly, even though out of, it's not as effective as any of the moves he's set in this match, it's the move he's known for. Mm. 
it it even had like um what i thought was going to be a hint towards it because you remember when like he runs and um and basically smushes joey abs in the corner and then you see joey abs walk out and i thought he was going to drop into the corner but instead he dropped on his back and you you can see that's where they haven't yet gotten to that stage they've got the inklings of it but if I'm curious to see when the first time will be. I imagine I'm going to get a sudden message from you saying, like, I've just seen the first stink face. And I'm going to be like, <laughs> of all the things to read, uh, <laughs> like a bit of an eye-opener, that one. Um, I Rikishi comes in, and he looks so good straight away. Um, he looks unique. Um, he stands out. He is completely contradictory to previous sized wrestlers like Yoko Zuna. He's got a lot more movement to him. He's able to utilize his, his speed, which is really surprising um, and makes him stand out. And it's amazing that on the power of one appearance, he's not only gotten a good reaction, but he's also been able to turn to cool from obnoxious grating little gets to oh i can't i kind of like these guys actually it's amazing what one person can do isn't it absolutely because like it's just weird because like they do the dance afterwards and then scotty toy even adds the worm which gets a bit of a reaction and then that slowly turns into him using that that he's going to use that worm in actual matches which becomes like up there with the people that went down to a move that has no actual impact and yeah, it's over as hell. And I'll be interested to see how long it takes before they quickly drop the Fatu from Rikishi's name. And uh, from what I heard from research is that Rikishi is apparently a, a moniker in sumo wrestling because uh, the top position is a Yokozuna, which is where Yokozuna got his name. Rikishi is Yokozuna's brother. And the uh, Yokozuna is also on the outs of the company. He's actually early in 2000. He, uh, we sadly lose Yokozuna, and it was almost a, mm. a tribute to his brother that he was called Rikishi. And had to, and I always often wonder actually if Yokozuna ever dropped the weight and was able to get down the way that WWE wanted him to. If he came back in the attitude of if Yokozuna would maybe then transition into this gimmick and imagine the what Tuku would look like with, with Yokozuna dancing with with a Sky to Hot and Grandmaster rather than Rikishi. Oh, that's um, that's a bit of a mind blowing idea. Uh, trying to imagine Yokozuna. I mean, um, Yokozuna to some degrees did start getting um, uh, uh, a lighter persona when, like, when he was with Owen Hart, was a little bit different. And it would have been interesting to see if he'd returned and had been able to see what he could do. Um, but I, I think that Yoko sooner might have been i don't want to say tainted but he was such a big superstar um uh, in the main event that it would have been distracting um whereas i think by bringing in rikishi at that time had appeared several uh several times as part of the head shrinkers and uh as the sultan i think it was at the 97 wrestlemania funny enough um he wasn't a big enough star that he couldn't take on this role because he wasn't noticeable enough in those previous roles he could really capitalize on this moment and make a fantastic character in rikishi and i think if yokozuna had been given that position i don't think it would have worked as well 
Yeah, like I said, like alternate timelines and all that, it's just interesting to think about. Uh, we get the culmination to this nearly episode-long storyline where DX are eating this their Thanksgiving food in front of the homeless people who have nothing to eat. And big, uh, Triple H there obnoxious with this massive drumstick like a fucking caveman. And uh, one homeless guy asks if they got silverware from the U.S. And that's just the straw that brought the cameras back. Because then DX like, all right, get out of here, get out. No, no food for you guys. And then they kicked them out, and that's a payoff. And then later on, I think during the main event, uh, Michael Cole says, oh, I've heard that uh, Vince has let the homeless people back in. He's actually fed them. Good on Vince McMahon. Just like, really? That was that was the whole point of this? That's what you were building to? Four segments of this? Okay. Right, now that it's end, I can tell my full opinion. Um, so... This entire segment series um, I found boring, massively boring. Um, I thought it was terribly done. It was painful to watch. And it's almost like we get the point. You're the bad guys. But um, I think picking on the homeless is, it to some degrees, it's a very obvious step. But it's also a real pathetic step to take it's not you don't actually come across as huge big bad guys you just come across as pathetic bullies and it just takes up too much airtime it takes up too much of the story and it has no long-term benefits it has no gains and i just I absolutely i basically i i I hated the segments i absolutely hated it i found it painful to watch and when it ended i was i was actually quite glad because i thought oh is it going to continue going until the very end and like are the homeless people going to come out and attack dx for revenge or something like that it was just a mess of segments that even though it gave attention to all four members of dx and tried to make them look interesting i actually think it did the worst thing possible and made them all look like assholes to a in a bad way not assholes as in you want to see them beaten up assholes as in you want them to go away this would have been the personification of go away heat for all four of them for me at least and it was i'll go so far as to say of the two episodes we've watched these segments with the homeless were the worst part and it wasn't because of the homeless people yeah they said, like, these people, I don't even think these were actors or anything. These look like actual homeless people they just brought in for the thing. I'm sure they, in real life, they fed them and actually gave them something worth their time to, to get this done. But, like, it served zero purpose. Like, I am no more, more excited or into this DX Triple H feed. I'm no more excited for the match arm again than I was before. So, like, from that respect, I don't see what service this had, other than saying Triple H's, Triple H's are just bad guys, like, well, yeah, you've done better than this in less amount of segments to show mm. us that. Why did we need this? It leaves a bad taste in your mouth at the end of it. And for me, I like, I like to have it that my heels are ones that I want to see the crap beaten out of. I don't want to have it that they leave a bad taste in my mouth and want to turn the tv off which 
it's like it's like Jinder Mahal doing like uh, racism towards Shinsuke Nakamura. It's like uh, Triple H saying to Booker T, um, giving him a tenner and asking him to give him a towel. It's 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 bad taste. It's un- it's uncomfortable to watch, and I don't think anybody comes out of it looking good. Even Vince McMahon, supposedly bringing them back in so they can eat the Thanksgiving, looks pandering. It looks pandering like it's good publicity like you imagine he was a politician on thanksgiving with an apron serving at a homeless shelter because it would make him look good it it's all not believable complete and utter bollocks and in an episode that wasn't that great this was the worst part yeah like i, I we've we've managed to see opinions on it even in the segments leading up to this or all the other ones, I struggled to even formulate enough reasonable thoughts to talk to Scrape it because these weren't really memorable segments. They didn't have a whole lot to it other than basically I did some in one sense, DX talk to some homeless people. Because mm. that's just about it. And I'd rather move on, but then I realised what segment we've got next to talk about. Because sometimes these segments, when they've got those little blocks at the, at the bottom on the network, which will you each segment individually if you want to skip ahead. I saw that we had this, and this is one of the reasons why I wasn't looking forward to this episode. We have a grievable match. Not even, it feels just women's champion Ivory, and it's not even for the title. We have Ivory taking on Jacqueline, and with Miss Kitty as the ref, the most over woman in this match is the referee. And what is even more upsetting is Jacqueline's face when she comes out. Like, she's going to go down the steps by the stage to get to the Beautiful. She kind of just uh, shakes her like, ah, right, let's get this over with. Just like, I just felt so bad for her because you could tell neither her or Ivory wanted any part of this. Yeah, um, I think I had the exact same look on my face as Jacqueline did um, in terms of let's get this over and done with. Um, this was probably the most talked about segment in the lead up to from Shock Horror, Jerry the King Lawler. This would, I feel like if Jerry the King Lawler was ever involved in um, doing st- uh, the scripts, this would be his inclusion. Um, it was basically a five-minute masturbation scene for him. Um, Jackie and Ivory are a million times better than this. They are very good wrestlers. Um, this isn't like... Uh, and I, I don't, I'm not looking to badmouth when I say this. I remember there's a very classic gravy bowl match i think it was in 2002 and it was um i think it was like trish versus stacy keebler or something like that and um at the time stacy keebler was not a wrestler and trish was becoming a wrestler but wasn't as good as she would grow on to be so it made sense for them to be in that match because they weren't great wrestlers and they allowed them to get attention and they made a big splash in it, uh, pun not intended, uh, from one of them getting thrown in. Um, but it's it, it sort of suited at their level at the time. They both went on to do much better work, which is why I don't want to badmouth either Trish or Stacey, if I remember correctly, who it was doing that. But in this one, Ivory and Jackie are both fan- fantastic women wrestlers at the time. They showed the previous week what they could do. They had a very... Um, very solid hardcore match for the women's title with Luna included as we as we mentioned at the time and 
it's almost like a thumb in the eye to the two of them saying like, right, well, you proved last week you can wrestle. Now you're going to go out and get all dirtied up. The only one that suited in this match, ironically, was the referee and the upcoming EMT. Those were the only ones that make sense being in this match. Not these two good women wrestlers who are more capable than this deserve better. And to make it even worse, the fact it's not even for the women's title makes it even more pointless. Because mm-hmm. yeah, we all know that, that Stacey Keebler, Trish Mike, that's the Okada Omega of, of Gravy Bowl matches, and we'll talk about <laughs> them somewhere down the line. But I think the reason Jacqueline was so annoyed is that because she wins this quite decisively, and uh, she beats Ivory. I think the part of the reason she was so annoyed is they're making me do this match, and they don't even have the good courtesy to give me the title. It's just the disappointment in her face, and yeah, Ivory attacks Miss Kitty after the match. It tries to drown her in the gravy, which is like it's not that gravy could even drown an ant. It was that shallow, and apparently it was mushroom gravy. And apparently a mushroom got into Miss Kitty. So I'm like, oh god, she's she's choking, she's choking. Out comes the EMT, who BB, as she would later be known as, and she's appeared every now and then in backstage like segments, like saying maybe what they've been hurt. And honestly, I mean, could you? T- you make it even more plain that she's not an actual EMT. I mean, she looks like a porn parody version of an EMT. <laughs> like, you can imagine that um, instead of the plumber having to come around, it's the EMT because you fell down the stairs and you hurt, and you hurt your crotch, so you need helping. Um, literally, the only aim of this match you didn't put over ivory because she didn't defend the title and she ended up losing quite decisively you didn't put over jackie because she won but it was non-title so it doesn't even matter the only reason for this match is so that you could strip off the emt and show her tickets and that was it that was literally the only point of this entire segment which makes it completely worthless completely pointless and the only and the only person who would be wanting to rewatch this again would be jerry king lauder on re- recordings later that night uh when he's alone in his hotel room it was just it was horrendous i hated i hated this segment i hated this segment i'm not gonna lie hated it boring worthless unrequired not needed nobody came out of it looking good and it probably will have no impact apart from every time bb comes out now people are gonna go oh em tits em tits em tits mm-hmm. yeah because then she gets in the most awkward fashion her top by by ivory to, uh, to see, look, look how big her tits are. And the one thing that BB, accom- uh, uh, BB accomplished here is making me very jealous of Hardcore Holly because I'm pretty sure he married her. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, I did not realise that. Oh, that's that's interesting. Um, it's especially, so you've got it in this match. You've got it. Um, You've got BB, who might go on, who supposedly might have gone on to marry Hardcore Holly. You've got Miss Kitty, who I'm pretty sure was Jay the King Lawler's wife at the time. And then you've got the two actual women wrestlers barely paid attention to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, what's the. Al Snow is uh, in the next match against the Godfather. Al Snow, I mean, he, he's definitely not turning to the dark side, you know. 
angrily talking about the rock tees, his mannequin doll coming out in all black. I mean, he, he, he's very angry. Spoiler, he doesn't beat the Godfather. He fucks up for himself. And, like, he's so angry, he's slowly turning. I'm pretty sure he went out after this and killed some Tuscan raiders to take out his frustration. He's, 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 <laughs> oh, it would not surprise me at all. Um, he just comes out with murder on his eyes. Um, somehow is able to lose a match that he could have easily controlled because he's so distracted by either getting out of the ring and chasing the hose, or he chairs himself. Like literally, what I wrote was Al chairs himself and loses to the whole train. Um, the best description I can give to this match. This is literally what I wrote. This match existed. <laughs> it was a match. It was a match. <laughs> oh, God. And the most popular point was the whole train, which says something about both competitors. Yeah, I mean, I think they had to add the whole chair thing. I'm actually hitting his still, even though it looked like the chair completely sailed over his head. Like, oh, he needs to be already kind of loopy for the whole train to actually win a match. And yeah, he's, he's very much the heel for this match. Like, he jumps Godfather before the holes are all at the ring. He does a very unique way he hooks the arms and he and headbutts uh, Godfather repeatedly in the chest. So yeah, he, he screwed himself out of this match and uh, it's slowly but surely again starting the downturn for, for Alcino. But all that is a, like, we've worked through these last two matches that weren't very good to get to the oasis in this fast desert of SmackDown this week. Oh, oh, actually, I just realised this. Before you go in, right, technically, if you've gone by the original booking, Godfather versus Al Snow was the original main event because the two matches that followed were booked during the show. So... Can you imagine if the if your main event was supposed to be Al Snow versus the Godfather? You'd want your money back. Yeah. I mean, if you're at a Sunday night heat taping and that was the main event, you'd understand, but not but not SmackDown. <sighs> God, it's just absolutely horrendous. Um, and seems very atypical of this entire but yes, let's continue on with um the the matches. So <laughs> Yeah, like, but what one thing that as much as great as this match is, and I'll get into why it's so great. But this cage, right? You knew going into this taping, you were planning on having a cage match. Now you could have done the reach thing you usually do, where you hang the cage from the ceiling and you lower it down. But let's just say that there wasn't the facilities in this particular arena to do that. So we'll construct the cage at one point, and we'll put it together. This is a taped show. You could have t- sent the fans off to, oh, please check out our merchandise and shit like that. And like you do at a live event and t- give them the time to properly put this cage together. This cage was looks so ram, so rushed together. Like this is, I've been to live events with qu- this quality of a cage. Like this is like the, this is like a, a, they forgot their actual cage and bought one at the dollar store down the street. Like what the <laughs> hell was this? <laughs> yeah, it, it makes it look too realistic that Vince made it up on the spot that night. You can almost imagine that the um like the hour between 
uh, him making the match and the match actually happening. Briscoe and Patterson had to run to the nearby Walmart to try and find the materials required. And that's why we don't see them for the rest of the show is because they're busy out getting the cage in order to try and prepare it. Um, it's just, it doesn't look like a great cage. It like they don't, it's only a small part, but it's like normally when they do the cage door, they have a lock on it and a chain. This didn't have that. If I remember correctly, if I, from what I if I remember correctly, they didn't have around the door the usual chain and lock. So that says to me that it, they were so rushed, they didn't even go for the usual setup. They literally went, right, four walls, that's fine. Mm-hmm. And like there were moments where guys got thrown inside the cage where you could easily conceive the cage wall just giving way and just falling down. It was that burst together. And the way you described Patterson Briscoe running around to get the cage. I would rather sit through four segments, four separate segments of that than the entire DX homeless angle and whatever that accomplished because this would accom- that would accomplish more than what DX did. And the uh, what my main first bit I put in the notes when actually talking about the match itself is that Road Dog hits a moonsault. Who knew he was capable of that? It's like I. I was shot just like you. I have to admit that was one of those moments when I went. Oh my god! I even put an exclamation mark in my notes. I was that amazed. Mhm. I know, and it wouldn't be the only insult because, like, there the fact so much action here. Matt could easily have climbed out the cage and won the match for his team, but decides to do a insult off the cage to try and top Road Dogs one and takes it everybody, including the rest. So yet another rough bump. I should mention, by the way, Jeff tried to get revenge against Xbox on Raw, but there was more DX shenanigans than Xbox beat Jeff on Raw. I was just as pissed off as I'm sure you are. And it looks like the Hardys, by all rights, should have had the match one because Jeff is launched so high in the air by, by uh, Billy Gunn that he grabs on the cage, kind of flips over and lands on the outside. And if the referee wasn't down, they would have won the match. Then out comes Xbox, throws Jeff back in. Like, like you said, they didn't have the usual chain because the Xbox was so easily able to open the door and throw him back in. Mm. And uh, Billy Gunn crawls out of the door to so the outlaws can be taken. Because at one point, like, Matt would have climbed on the other side, but then Xbox again got involved and climbed up and like stopped Matt from climbing out while Billy crawled out. So again, Xbox is the deciding factor. Like, I thought last week's match was good. The cage match, as ramshackle put together as it was, made it even better. I I enjoyed this match. Um, if if I remember correctly, I think it was the only match that was um, that was near. No, it wasn't the only match that was over five minutes side. But it was it was very fast paced. It was non stopped. Um, it started off a little bit weirdly with Billy Gunn and Matt Hardy both in between the cage and the ropes, acting like it's a normal tag team. And I was thinking to myself. Why? But then they had both of them trying to climb up the cage in order to escape. And Jeff and Rodo both be like, oh, shit, and turn around and realize. And I, I liked that, actually. Um, it looked like they both almost had a simultaneous thought of, wait, why are we on the outside? We could actually be climbing right now. Um, the Hardy boys could have won so many times. Because I actually I was making notes. You, you had um, uh, at one point you had it that Jeff hit the Swanton bomb on Billy Gunn and they could have pinned him but instead they had Matt climbing up and that's the point where you said he did the moonsault so that was two opportunities in one moment where they could have uh, won it 
then uh, then Jeff being thrown over, only to be thrown back in, a third. Matt trying to get over, a four. It was like pretty much every other move that the Hardy Boys did was something that could have won the match. Um, At one point, you mentioned about Gunn throwing Jeff over a little bit earlier on. I'm not sure whether Gunn was like practicing to see how far he could throw Jeff because he almost spiked Jeff on his head, um, which I'm wondering was like, uh, was the moment where they went, all right, let's get a little bit closer. But watching Jeff go over so quickly and to add to the idea of being so ramshackle almost in preparation is that a normal cage match would have a referee on the outside. Yet this mm-hmm. one didn't. So instead of having, it's almost like Vince McMahon did literally did book it on the night. So they didn't have enough referees for the match. So they only had one on the inside. They should have gone out and done the stooges trying to buy the materials for the cage. Cause like you, I would have found that much more interesting because it would be like, it sounds a weird comparison. It'd probably be like watching uh, Al Snow and Mick Foley in Las Vegas the previous week. And that it's just these two, um, almost bumpkins getting into trouble and i i've got a soft spot for the stooges i have to admit they're completely useless but they're just so up for anything um i mean to a detrimental point at king of the ring next year so have fun with that one um it just the whole thing felt very rushed but it was fast paced it was fun the fans were chanting holy shit at one point with the moon so off the cage. And the fact that the fans were so disappointed at the end, unlike last week, where I think they were annoyed because of X-Pac, this time I think they were actually disappointed because they were getting behind the Hardy Boys. And that's the difference. Mm-hmm. I understand. I really. think the stages of that match, I actually watched back King of the Ring 2000 a few months back because I thought, oh, I watched back some old babies I haven't watched in years. I part a lockdown and I watched King of the Ring and it was there I was like God this match is worse than I remember but <laughs> I was a bit down the line and I agree like I remember actually when the Hardys lost last week even though like oh my God the Hardys have been screwed these good Valiant Bay faces have been screwed as soon as the three hits the crowd are chatting along oh you didn't know so like mm. they're not entirely that ball that the Hardys lost but this week they ramped it up and they made the Hardys look even more Valiant and defeat because again, export that one that the fans just can't stand got mm. involved again and screwed the Hardys even more. And now that, and like, you wonder, like, where was Teddy? Like, they, they had said, I don't know how much Teddy could have done, but she could have done something because she's maybe their manager, and yet she's like, like I know Michael Hayes got him sent to wrestlers court, but fucking, he's done something for the Hardys. Yeah, Teddy's done fuck all for the Hardys since becoming their manager. I think you, uh, Terry was as, is as much a benefit as a manager as I'm pretty sure uh, a potted plant or the urn for the Undertaker um, because just like them she stands around and does fuck all but look pretty um, she basically she comes out does a little bit of a dance and then just waits until the end and complains that they've lost and it's like you just had a huge massive best of five series culminating in one of the best ladder matches ever um, between the Hardy Boys and Edge and Christian to try and get her managerial services. This is what you paid for? This is what you went through to try and get um, her just like tottering around on the outside? Um, The annoying thing is, is that the Hardy Boys would sue having a extra member 
to support them, um, to add to it. It's just that unfortunately they've got the wrong woman at this moment, and it's um, thank thankfully things will improve in the future. But when you have it that down the line, Perry Saturn has both Terry and a mop, and the mop contributes more to the segments in the matches than Terry does. That's the sign that as lovely as she is and as um, as suitable as she is for the bikini contest and that sort of thing, as a manager, she's very underwhelming. Mm-hmm. Definitely. But this match, again, was a highlight of the show, regardless of like those kind of picks. But then we go to, the again, another match, as you said, was wouldn't have been here if Finn's not booked on the night after getting that order of protection. We have mm. Test and Shane taking on X-Pac and, uh, and Triple H. And they rushed the ring. Shane, as it should be, as he's basically the only non-wrestler in this match, he gets beat up, he gets isolated. This would be years before he took that time away and he went off to train with those Shaolin monks to become the best in the world that we now know today. <laughs> This is seeing him before the training. So it's like when when um, Bruce Bruce Wayne got beaten around as a child and then went on to become Batman. This is the precursor. Uh, this is Clark Kent with Kryptonite. This is pretty much all those famous... Super- this is Steve Rogers before he had the serum. He is easy being beaten up in an alleyway. Um, but years down the line, he will be... What is, it? is it the best or is it the greatest? Can you... Just reiterate for me, Scott. Which one is it again? He is the best in the world, and I, uh, I actually, I do imagine him going off to trade to be the best, or being like the the opening half hour or so of Batman of Batman Begins <laughs> when he's up in the mountains with, with Liam Neeson. Uh, but instead of Liam Neeson, you have like Harley Race or Ox Baker from Escape from New York or something like that, and just and just be like, if you can't stand on ice, then you can't stand as champion. If you can't, if you can't swing a sword, you can't swing a lariat. And like, if you can't can't hide on the floor, you can't get the pin. Like standing on hot coal, like you can't stand heat. And you're not going to survive when I lock a room, brother. <laughs> uh, I, um, I, I could easily imagine. And that's the only way it would sell it to me, that he became the the best wrestler in the world and the best wrestler on SmackDown roster. This is, this is how Shane should be. He should be the babyface in peril because for all his faults, he sells pretty well. That's usually because he's already fucking knackered. Um, from dancing around the ring. Um, I'd like to give a bit of credit to X-Pac in this one because he is actually a very clever ring general in that he is mostly him with Shane and it's, it's a boring match, but it's not technically a bad match in that mistakes happen or anything like that and that's because x-pac is controlling the middle of the ring uh, and making shane look strong and allowing test and triple h to pick their moments x-pac for all of the go away heat he has is still solid in the ring it's just that his shtick is boring because mm-hmm. like it builds up to shane giving the hot tag to test who has a pretty decent hot tag mm. he comes in Takes out X, takes out Triple H. The outlaws come out clearly not too knackered after that big cage match they literally just had. Mm-hmm. Like, they get involved. 
Xbox had the X Factor on test, and they go, oh, but the mind's the broken nose, now he's been driven onto his face. And uh, Triple H kind of rolls over, because it's actually Triple H in test, that league on Triple H spins Xbox, and something that annoyed me was like, so, because of the way they treated Tess, like, so now not only is Triple H pinned Tess, he's not even used his finisher, the pedigree, the one that they've, they've spent years putting over as one of the most devastating and protective moves in the business, uh, at least in WWE, that is. They've used, they've had his underling hit his finisher, and then Triple H pins him. So just to show how easily Tess can be beaten, how unimportant Tess is meant to be. Yeah, I agree. Um, we last week we were discussing how we could have rewritten it, and it could have been Test as coming in at Survivor Series, winning the championship, and going on to face Triple H at Armageddon. If they'd done that, this match would be even better because it would make sense. Um, and if um, if it had been Triple H hitting the pedigree on Test, then it would. Give him Triple H could technically say, I have beaten the champion. I've pinned him in the middle of the ring. So I deserve to go on and face for the championship at Armageddon. You could have could have built this story. The fact that the the two biggest cheers, I think, was the hot tag for Test and when Shane speared X Pac. So you have that's two contradictions. That's one saying that um Test is being uh set up in a way that he could actually have potential as a babyface. But the biggest cheer is actually for the go-away heat to X-Pac and they're cheering Shane. Enjoy that while you can, Shane. It may not happen forever. Um, uh, Taking out X-Pac. Again, the numbers gain from the Outlaws. Again, Tess gets screwed over. Again, Triple H is getting away with the victory. It, It continues the story of the last couple of weeks. But I was just it wasn't a great match it wasn't a badly done match it just i i wasn't uh, entertained by it i was a little bit bored i have to admit because it was just generic i felt it was a bit generic i have to admit mm-hmm. so yeah the match i think itself was kind of a letdown what comes next to paraphrase and making maria this is the greatest greatest smackdown ending i've ever known because <laughs> after the match DX beat up Shane and that brings Vince in a bit slightly in the Vince so you need to stay up on that ramp because you come within 50 feet of us remember you're going to jail and you have to watch as Shane's being beat in it takes Vince longer than it should to remember hey I'm the owner of a billion dollar company with a bunch with a shitload of wrestlers most of which hate DX so he rushes to the back out come the Hardys Edge and Christian a bunch of people Rock Mankind all run down to the ring to beat up DX but then more wrestlers than Vince expect to come in because it starts to get to the point where so many people are coming out. The Vince is looking back like, wait, what? Like, why are you coming out? And realizing <laughs> he's open the floodgate because a bunch of people like the Acolytes who probably just want to fight regardless all start brawling. And then they realize the Thanksgiving food's there. So because he keeps teasing up all the Thanksgiving feast, the Thanksgiving feast. Well, when was this feast meant to happen? Because the show's about to go off air. And decided, oh, at least a massive food fight. The guys hitting each other with pie, with turkey, and Jerry Lawler gets hit with a pie from Mae Young and Fabulous Miller, much to Cole's like humour. And the show ends with a massive food fight. As shit as much shit as we give this episode, I loved this ending. I was thoroughly entertained by this. I I have to admit, um, uh, the ending was probably the strongest 
part um, of the overall episode in that it makes sense for Vince to suddenly go, hang on, I'm a, I'm a million dollar, I'm a million dollar owner. So he, he starts getting wrestlers in. It makes sense because Hardy boys got screwed by uh, DX Edge and Christian. They're friends with the, um, with the Hardys, So they'll probably be on that. They'll come and help them. The Hardys come out because they want to try and get another opportunity for the tag team championship. Kane, hates x-pac it makes sense for these people to come out but then like i love the fact that um the once more people start coming along like um like albert and fee and foul venus and that sort of thing and the acolytes that's when vince is looking back and forth with a shot look on his face they say wait hang on i didn't i didn't invite i didn't invite no i didn't ask for wait what no what um it's i love that bit i thought that was great that you like it you had all of these people come out and show that actually DX are disliked. I would have loved it even more if you had Vince actually get on the microphone and say, I'll tell you what, anyone who comes out here to beat the crap out of Triple H and DX, I will owe them a favor. Because can you imagine how much story possibility would be from that and have them all come out? The food fight was inevitable, but unlike the uh, so, so-called Thanksgiving tradition, this one is actually a tradition and was quite fun. Uh, Moolah and May Young Pine King was my, was the perfect culmination to the episode. Having had to listen to um, Jay the King Lawler for the entirety of this event, pretty much sounding like he had his dick in his hands waiting for the gravy bowl match. That made it feel so much better for me. That was worth sitting through just for that moment, pying in the face. I was like, cool. I was laughing my head off. As an ending, it was very chaotic, but in a good way because it says what can happen next. And that's what you, that's what I love. I love when there's a bit of chaos that makes you think, where can it go from here? If this was on war, you'd have JR screaming on the microphone, going like, um, absolute madness. What's going to happen? from here what's gonna be the repercussions we'll have to find out stay tuned and then it would just cut off and that's sort of it and i would love that that would have been fantastic for a very painful episode to uh to sit through the ending not the match the ending was actually very good absolutely yeah and i think it's fair to say for the portion of like like what would you look back on the cage match and if you're a fan of just like pure Carnage and Mayhem, the ending, like the food fight bit after the actual main event itself, is the two things I'd recommend you go by and watch. Would you be the same? Um, I would. I would say definitely the cage match. Cage match deserves credit because it's the first time um, since the ladder match you can really feel the Hardy Boys have the potential to do on some really good stuff. And it's the point where they're stepping up as um, baby faces that the crowd can get a connection to. And you're, you become fascinated to see where they go from here. Um, I loved the chaos of the fight, but I have to admit the other thing I would lean towards is The Rock. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Rock coming out is just so electric that even though it's literally just like a three, four minute uh, promo of him making fun of Michael Cole, it shot and shot a lot of energy into the show and probably helped save it to some degree because by that point it was feeling laborious it was feeling tired the segments with dx were ongoing uh which probably only numbered about 10 minutes in total but felt like um 2020 it was that long um 
I would say the walk and the cage match were the moments that I would pick. Yeah. Uh, we're just on that rating wise for this for the show up down or in the middle. I'm I'm gonna have to go down. Um I think thumbs down because yeah, there's two or three okay moments, but as an overall episode it was very painful to sit through. A lot of the booking was very questionable. I think a lot of wrestlers came out of their segments worse than they did before they went in. I think the European Championship, the Hardcore Championship, the WWF Championship, and even the women's title um, don't look that great uh, because of this match. Probably the only title that comes out looking anywhere near acceptable um, is the tag team titles. And even then, that's only because you're hoping in the future the New Age Outlaws will drop it to either the Rock and Sock Connection or to the Hardy Boys because it has potential for the future. As an overall episode, whereas the previous one flowed really well last week, this one was just stop, start, stop, start, stop, start. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do agree. Like, even with stuff that I did like for this, I, even after like discussing it and getting into actual detail about what we liked and disliked about it, like I don't think it's enough to keep it from being a down. So yeah, not a, a strong episode this week, but hopefully as we're on the road to Armageddon, things will get better and uh, you can the fallout that we'll have next week from uh, Stephanie and, and Tess's wedding. I almost said uh, someone else, Stephanie, and someone else whose name begins with T. I don't know who I could possibly be thinking of, but. We'll have all the fallout next week here on the Real Retrospective Review. I will uh, have a new guest with me next week, but uh, Sam, I have appreciated your time here on the Real Review, and I'd, I'd happily have you back on at some point in the future. Thank you. Honestly, Scott, I've had a tremendous time on both these episodes. Um, uh, I was so, I'm not going to lie, I was nervous coming in because I wasn't sure whether I'd uh, have much to talk about. It turns out I can't shut up. So it's uh, positive. Um, I had a great time. Um, it's nice to have this nostalgic walk down uh, rest. And even, even the moments you hate, like we've talked about a lot of negatives, it's still nice to be able to see some of your old favourites. Like, Kurt Angle, Chris Jericho, Kane, all these sort, being able to see them back in that time, completely worthwhile. So I'd like to say thank you for having me on both last week and this week. And uh, my Twitter DM is always open for you to let me know if you want me back again. Uh, I always, I'll always keep that in mind. But if some people didn't tune into the Mammoth Long episode last week, that thankfully we haven't gone quite that long yet, even though we're close. Uh, and they didn't get your, your plugs last week. Where, where What are you up to for people who have enjoyed your time here and want to see what else you're up to? Uh, so um, I'm currently writing on a website called Cultured Vultures, um, where I discuss film, television and wrestling. Lately, I've talked about whether or not NWA could cross over with AEW. Um, I've done a couple of classic matches from SummerSlam in the lead up. Um, TV, I've talked about Hannibal, Person of Interest, Timeless, some classic shows I think people should look at. And film, well, you just have to come back and have a look because I think there's a special celebration this year, uh, 35 years, if that gives a hit at all. And also a little shameless plug, Mick Foley style. If you like women wrestling or you like intergender wrestling, 
I was a part of a book called Women Love Wrestling, an anthology being sold on Amazon, um, which is currently having all of its proceeds dedicated to charities for women, such as like um, anyone um, like for rain or for charity aid and that sort of thing. So if you love women wrestling, you want to read about women wrestling and you want to do something good, have a look on Amazon for Women Love Wrestling. Scott, thank you ever so much for your time. No problem, man. And uh, you remember to find me at Scott McLean as always. Uh, follow my other podcast, Scott and Paul's Rambling Podcast at SB Rambling. The best place for your Fraser and wrestling-related content. One of the people is that those two things come together so seamlessly. We're into season five of Fraser, which uh, has some of the best episodes that show's ever produced, in my opinion. Uh, here on Rogue Pines, Rogue underscore Pines on Twitter and Instagram. Tip back on last week's episode with Sam, previous episodes with uh, Rogue Pines members Carl, Liam and Reese, and our all our coming episodes and all the stuff that we've been doing. Me, Nathan and Jimmy have been doing some stuff to wear the SummerSlam, which hopefully will be out by the time this one's up. And uh, there's quizzes, football-related podcasts, all sorts for you to keep your mind occupied in these hard times. But uh, next, oh, that next thing with a new guest, and hopefully things won't be as personal as they have been these last two weeks. You never can tell. Personola. <laughs> uh, have a tremendous time my friend